Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Tuesday, June 21st. Today is World Humanist Day. National Peaches and Cream Day for everybody out there in Alabama. It's also today is the first day of summer. Today is the day the summer begins. It's also National Day of the Gong. World Giraffe Day for all those people smoking that giraffe. You know what I mean? It's also Go Skateboarding Day. National Arizona Day. Anne Frank and Samantha Smith Day. National Smoothie Day. And National Selfie Day, as well as the International Day of Yoga and National Seashell Day, World Hydrography Day, and World Peace Prayer Day on top of National Daylight Appreciation Day because today is, that's right, it's the first day of summer. Thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the internet. We're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only. Today, we are on Twitter spaces. And remember... If you want to participate in the show on Twitter Spaces, you can come up on stage and make a brief comment on the story most recently presented. But without further ado, we're going to kick it off with the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lameet, the Quasimodo caretaker and the father to little baby Zozo. And today, he can see almost better than everybody. That's right. It's the dope dad himself, <laughs> Rico Lameet. I don't know if y'all can hear the applause or not. We didn't test that, <laughs> but <laughs> thank you, Jason. And you want to know how to solve societal issues in America, no matter how complex they are, throw more money at them. It's the American way. This is exactly how California's Department of Cannabis Control plans on solving the growing problem of illicit operators popping up and serving the needy in a stagnant number of weed desert municipalities to the tune of $4.1 million. That's right, California localities supporting cannabis dispensaries are set to receive a cash injection of $4.1 million in funding. The, aims, uh, the aim is to sway the nearly two thirds of California cities and uh, counties with no current regulated cannabis retailers, consumer access to regulated tested cannabis and cannabis products, it's limited. The DCC says it's working to curb a thriving trap market that still exists despite legalization in the state with the official launch of its $20 million local juris uh, jurisdiction retail access grant program that passed this February. This February. 
Golden State localities without enough dispensaries to meet consumer demand are being prioritized for funding as they're seen as the major hotspots for illegal operators and unregulated products. The ones with no intent to open up will not be eligible for the program. The program also aims to provide consumers with reliable access to regulated and tested cannabis and establish enough retail locations to meet California's massive existing consumer demand. Per the article, phase one of the program, which is now commenced, is awarding 4.1 million of that 20 million across 18 jurisdictions. 870,000 will go to 14 localities issuing licenses to equity applicants within their retail licensing programs. Um, permitting use for the funds, permitted use for the funds are for supporting social equity applicants, licensees, environmental reviews, permitting expenses and personnel costs. Uh, uh, Rasha Salama, acting director of this DCC, called the program an important step towards establishing legal pathways for legacy and social equity operators. I really don't know what to say about this one. Um, doing the math here it was as a 870,000 divided by 14 localities. Hey, each one of those gets $62,000. <laughs> I guess it's better late than never, but, um, you know, uh, is that money at this point enough to put a Band-Aid on the knife wounds that are the failing California industry and its promise to provide generational wealth to black and brown operators whose communities have been negatively affected by the illegal, racist, and still very much alive war on drugs? I don't know. Interested in hearing what you guys have to say about it. I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street. Glad to be back on High at Nine News. It's throwing not enough money at a huge problem, Rico. The companies that I've helped set up, we're looking high six to low seven figures to get them up and operational from start to actually getting your first customer in or your first you know round of product off your property. And so my sequel studies up in these counties where they require an, what an individual in, uh, environmental impact report my costs are seventy-five to hundred thousand dollars just for the environmental reports. So it's appreciated that money's out there, um, but what strings are attached, if any? And then ha what happens when that money runs out and these people are left there holding their wang, if you will, waiting? They can't pay their right. bills. And when you're looking at years to get up and licensed, it's I mean, it should be appreciated, but I don't know what the plan is to actually fix the problem because this doesn't actually fix the problem. Hold on, is, is, is this money holding their, holding their wangs in the wind? That's right. I think that this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Gretchen. I was just going to say, Rico, isn't this money only going to programming? It's not actually going to the operators, is it? Yeah, that's what I was confused about too. It's, it's going only to going to programs money. to like for the mm -hmm. city of Sacramento to say, here's a clinic on how to pay your exactly. taxes. It's not really helping these people, is it? Yeah, I, I'm with you. Grace. Sixty-two thousand isn't going to help you do shit. Is that going to no? But I'm, no. My point is that it's just—it's not going to the operators, so I don't think it's going to do a damn thing. It's going, going to, to the municipalities. Yeah, it's going to bureaucrats. Yeah, initially, the way I've seen it allocated, and Nicole, you may have different experience with this, but the way I've seen it allocated is initially there's a small tranche of money that's allocated to the city, and the city is supposed to put together some sort of cohort or programming. Right to help the individuals get acclimated to what's to come. Mm -hmm. And then after that, there's like, so it, each city does it differently. Sacramento did a lottery process and like an application process. And so your applications got a score 
And then if you got a certain score, you got entered into a lottery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the first round of funding allocation, the second round was a merit um, stipend that came Based. out. Yeah. Um, every state, every city, every county does it differently. Absolutely. Um, what What we're finding more of is that once they have a social equity program and maybe let's say it fails, like let's say, you know, it's not successful, then the county comes back or the city comes back and then they're like, okay, how can we um, create programs that can help these businesses? And so, for example, in Nevada, uh, CEIC, which is a local nonprofit, um, they created the Cannabis Business School. And that was done, you know, we didn't have social equity licenses initially in Nevada here. The first social equity round we've ever had was with consumption lounges. And so this cannabis business school was given the funds by the county, by Clark County, not by the city, not by the state, but by Clark County. And that was to help people get ready for what was to come, which was the consumption lounge license application process and actually having social equity applicants apply. Now, funding, like direct funding, we we haven't gotten there yet in Nevada, Um, but I know there are some other states and counties um, that are making sure uh, that funds that are coming in from cannabis sales are actually going to some sort of fund that will help social equity. Um, I think in Illinois, they're doing something similar to this. I don't know. I just feel like this is all just going to be one big waste of tranche of money. Pretty much all of this, this is because... Like, I think it was Dale that said the amount of funding that it requires to just get up and running when you are a license holder is astronomical. And depending upon the type of business model that you're trying to go into, you're going to spend the majority of your life just trying to maintain and save that license instead of even like building your brand or getting out there Mm -hmm. and doing the cool shit you wanted to do when you said you wanted to start a cannabis company. You're just going to be stuck in license mode all the time. And for... The social equity applicants right here in Nevada that are getting consumption lounges that have been already been awarded consumption lounge licenses, um, they are not moving to the next step of getting a conditional license like some of the dispensaries are, the, the retail attached consumption lounges are because of capital. And so well, I'll talk about it a little bit in my in my story. What happened in the CCB meeting yesterday um, is going to help them reduce some of those costs by the new regulations that were applied to air quality. But still finding the right location, making sure that you every other regulation is um, is adhered to. Uh, it's it's challenging, especially for the independent operators that are not retail attached. Well, what I found with the companies I represent that have local preference, we call them social equity. I mean, there's some sort of a preference given for local or criminal activity, things like that, is that money in this industry is high risk, okay? So it comes with layers of strings attached and a lot of it's off the books. And that, that's where I kind of get pissed off when I get into these and look at the social equity person or local equity, whatever person has got to have 51% of a business. So they do, they give them 51% of the business to touch the plant, but all the money gets made by another business. So they don't get shit from that. Okay? And there's, there's also preferred stock buybacks and things like that, that will kick these social equity people out. As soon as they get to the point where they can, they're cut loose. They might get some severance money, I call it the dimes and the dollars. They get dimes along the way. And for people that haven't used to making a lot of money, getting $10,000 a month, it's like, oh, shit, man, I'm in heaven. But the people that are doing that are going to make millions, and you're not going to get shit out of that. Yeah. <clears throat> and that still is a disparity that I'm finding 
And it, I don't know what to do to fix it. I really don't. I don't think there's an answer. There is not an answer. I mean, someone wants... <laughs> I'm still a fan of the idea that social equity qualified applicants shouldn't have to pay certain amounts of taxes for a, a certain number of amount of time. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Mm-hmm. How about a plot twist? How about you just take all this money, take that $20 million and give it to the trap? How awesome can the trap um, be? Or that. <laughs> Trap's going to get it anyway. You have a whole lot less every chance. A <laughs> whole lot less heartbreak across the board for everybody. <laughs> I mean, but the trap will to- survive. So everybody's going back to you anyway. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> all things all things end up at the what trap. It, the trap. trap. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna keep it moving here. We got a we got yep. a commercial. No. How we're gonna thing? keep it rolling. Please let it be smoky vanilla. All right, well, all right. It's gonna be at least another week till we have a smoky vanilla commercial. All right, he is the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer, known to many for smoking the best weed in the world. Tabletops, stretch sessions with smoky vanilla, and of course, supplying Donald Trump with the best, only the best Fox News talking points for Brett Bayer interview. Oh, boy. <laughs> Y'all know who it is. Coming to the stage, Jason Beck. <laughs> You know, I do have the best talking points in town, Rico. That is very, very true. Mm-hmm. That's right. I see the side, Gretchen. It's okay. Don't worry. We all, we all know. We all know. <laughs> oh, man. I got a big story for you guys. Get ready for this. It's something everyone already knew about, but you know what? Today it's a news story because a big California marijuana distributor, Herbal, has collapsed. And brands are left unpaid, sources say. Herbal, a major licensed California marijuana distribution company, is in receivership after falling behind on a key loan, a source close to the situation confirmed to MJ Biz Daily on Tuesday. The collapse of Herbal, which reportedly handed, uh, handled $700 million worth of product sales in 2022, is the most prominent failure of a cannabis company in the state to date and has major implications across the industry. Potentially tens of millions of dollars in unpaid invoices are due to brands across the state, which now fear that the, that, that revenue, including for a product already sold, is lost forever. The state might also be due millions in unpaid taxes. Herbal's financial troubles underscore the upheaval within California's marijuana industry as brands struggle to collect unpaid invoices. The terms of Herbal's receivership uh, mean that investors and other claimants due money from Herbal might be paid before brands, according to people familiar with the situation. Mike Boudry, Herbal's co-founder and CEO, did not respond to a voicemail or a text message from MJ Biz Daily seeking comment. Well, of course he didn't. The company's main lender in is is East West Bank, which also last week uh, concealed a line of credit it had extended the company, the source confirmed. East West Bank did not respond to a telephone message and an email seeking comment. The company's other investors include Measure 8 Ventures, Salvio Capital, Silverleaf Venture Partners, and uh, which Market MarketWatch <laughs> reported last year. As of September 2022, Herbal employed more than 200, including salespeople and delivery drivers, and worked with a thousand plus licensed retailers according to market watch 
Though the company has not publicly confirmed the situation, Herbal's collapse is common knowledge throughout the cannabis industry. On LinkedIn, former Herbal employees reported last week that they were seeking jobs. That has since been followed by a near-universal acknowledgement among industry insiders on Tuesday that the company was finished and is a growing concern. In a quote, the recent receivership of Herbal, one of California's largest cannabis distributors, should be a wake-up call to policymakers that all this is not well and immediate action is called for to avert a crisis that has already started. Wesley Hine, president of the Cannabis Distribution Association, a trade group representing distributors, told MJ Biz Daily. And Herbal remains listed as a member of the group currently. And in another quote, Herbal was well-run, well-financed, and stocked with well-known brands, Hine added. However, even with those advantages, it was unable to overcome the structural challenges of operating in California and now finds itself in receivership. Herbal's downfall is a stark reminder that if a state and local policymakers don't immediately address regulations, taxes, and the illicit market, we are going to see the continued erosion of a vibrant industry. I'm not sure if it was ever vibrant like that, but whatever. <laughs> California's mandatory distributor model requires brands to sell products through licensed distributors. Distributors collect payment from retailers after product is sold and then remit both excise taxes due to the state as well as payment for the original product delivery to the brand. And brands started reporting unpaid or partially paid invoices with the company this spring, but the situation appears to have come to a head within the past few weeks. The company has reportedly laid off nearly all of its workforce, leaving behind only a skeleton crew that's attempting to collect payment from California retailers, who are in turn fleeting calls from brands that are, are trying to collect payment that's owed to them through Herbal. In a quote, we're trying to collect on, on accounts receivable owed by Herbal. Uh, Sincia Lab CEO, CEO Ben Mitchell told MJ Biz Daily on Tuesday in the quote, but the fact is, unfortunately, we're not going to get paid through Herbal. Mitchell, who co-founded the social equity brand with his wife, Carolina Vasquez, Mitchell, a recognized cannabis product developer, did not share how much the brand is owed, but he said Herbal began falling behind on paying brands about six weeks ago. That company previously sent out checks a few weeks ago. In that time, Mitchell added <laughs> efforts to find out what was going on at Herbal did not yield answers, and Herbal's downfall is the latest domino to fall after tax and regulatory burdens hit licensed cultivators and retailers who have publicly called for major tax reform for years. In a quote, now it's, a ca now it's cascaded all the way down the brands, Mitchell said, I don't really know how anyone is going to get out of here either, they say. Is this the downward turn for the cannabis industry in California with the demise of Herbal and being in receivership? And will Herbal be able to get their business back out of receivership? Only time will tell. Well, this is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News. What do y'all have to say about this? Man. Ugh. You know, it's the scariest time in an industry when the biggest company mm -hmm. that handles the majority of the fleet of products that go throughout the state is no longer operating. And stuff like this happens and it drastically affects brands. Like the brands are going to be the biggest losers in all of this. And that really sucks. I guess um, I guess it's a good thing it's not Fleet Week this week then, huh, Mandy? 
uh, I, I want to know. <clears throat> so two things here: is it is this going to be the rise? Is this going to be the rise of uh, direct consumer? Uh, people just like a one in a sidestep. Um, a lot of these uh, um, uh, distributors. And number two, like, how the fuck does California not have a two uh, too big to fail companies? If Trulieve and, and Cureleaf, yeah, can escape on the East Coast being too big to fail and get bailed out of their shit, like, why? Oh, how is this not stopped? They obviously, right. they yeah, obviously, yeah. obviously, they the didn't. The food chain. They didn't. Uh, they didn't. They didn't uh, align themselves with the correct politicians in order to be in that space. Enrico, I don't agree with your assessment anywhere that cannabis is too big to fail. Nobody Cure cares leaf? about cannabis. Nobody. Cure leaf, no New Jersey? lawmaker. No How bank. Cure, no oh, regulator. Cure leaf, New Jersey? No, Cure they don't leaf, care. In, leaf in don't, OSHA? Care. They, don't care. Of, don't care. Out of, don't care. Massachusetts? Don't care. Don't care. They don't care. If I'm, I'm they cared sure. about I'm, I'm this sure industry given... being successful, then they I'm would do something sure. about the tax rates. If they cared about this industry getting up and running, they would deschedule. If they cared about this industry at all, they would give us level. banking. No, hold on, I'm hold talking on, I'm talking on, on any level. No, well, no, True Leaf and Cure Leaf have been proven on state levels that they are too big yeah. to fail. They were given. How have they been proven that whatsoever? Uh, Just because New Jersey fixed their shit, you think that means they they're too big to fail? Are you talking about them giving back their license? Is that what you're talking about? They weren't compliant at all. And then literally two days later, they, they were giving them access to operate. They didn't rectify shit. That was two days later. They were given, they were given they they to operate again. That was a, and then that was and a, then truly I, I just, I, the shit that they did for for Rico, truly all the Rico, shit that went down Rico, in Rico, Massachusetts. Let me speak. No, hold on. Let oh, me no, finish no, 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 my no. thought. I was speaking okay, a thousand times before you started. My point is that this is not the housing industry. This is not the banking industry. Cannabis in no one's eyes is too big to fail. They would Somebody much rather wait. They would much rather let it go down in flames so they can step in, take it over, let pharma, let the big boys come in and actually run this shit for real. They have no problem letting all these operators go down in flames. No problem. You're talking about you're talking about on the federal level. I'm talking about on the state level. I'm talking on truly, every truly level. Every level. No, somebody it, it was truly and Curly were proven to be too care. big to fail. Are you kidding yes. me? How many people does tobacco me? kill a year? How many people does alcohol kill a year? They don't give a fuck. What are you talking about? Damn, we just proved with True Leave and the death in the Holyoke. Mm-hmm. I'm going on mute because shit. I have no nobody, more to say. Nobody said I'm just shit. Right. Yeah, you're going on mute because you know I'm fucking right. Like the, the shit that went down in True Leave, the whole town, mum. Why? Because all those jobs were at stake. And what does True Leave do? They get the hell out of there because they're not making money anymore. And they got a, a $35,000 fine for a death of somebody, the first death in the cannabis industry to be muted. They got $35,000 uh, reduced to a $9,000 fine. And then they just bounced. Period. Mm. Left the whole state. Left thirty thousand plus jobs just gone. And then Cure Leaf in New Jersey it wasn't doing anything right on the compliance end, and they were coming out swinging, saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. Like Cure Leaf ain't gonna operate." And then oh, all these jobs are gonna be sacrificed because of that. What happens? Two days later, they get oh, well, it's okay. It's okay, Cure Leaf. Uh, just keep on coming with those jobs and them dollars for us. Oh, that's what too big to fail is. <laughs> I love the voice. <laughs> On a federal level, like that's, of course there's gonna be there's gonna be that's, no that's, too big to fail on a federal level because it's not that's, federally that's, legal. <laughs> what, what's that? What's that, Nicole? 
I'm talking on <laughs> any level, voice. Rico. Any level, Rico. They do not care about one dead cannabis worker. No, they don't. The they other don't thing care. that I thought was interesting in this article is it actually quoted the old tax regulations, I believe. It talked about how Herbal had excise tax that it still needed to remit potentially. That's on the, on the retailer now. So how long has that gone unpaid? Mm-hmm. Too long. Well, <clears throat> that's part of the problem. Rules changed Three in long. January, didn't they? I can, I can tell you what. I can tell you what. In, in this receivership, the state is going to be the first person to collect any money that is owed from them in yeah. taxes from Herbal. The state is going to collect For first. Sure. Then, then it'll be the shareholders, and then it'll be the vendors if there's anything left over. I'll tell you that. what. The business to be in right now, guys, is cannabis receivership. That's the go. business yeah. to go on into. Ain't plant touching. Yep. And, to get uh, to control the plant touching yes. business. And J- Jason um, Consulting actually specializes in receivership. And so if you need advice, just come in and let me know. Jason, real quick on, <laughs> on this one, they, they can't go bankrupt, right? They can't. So it's just no. like, so, so basically, so you, what, what's just like, happen uh, is, everything's for sale. Uh, just, herbal <laughs> herbal will end up selling for pennies on the dollar. Hey, everybody, you need, you need some uh, um, cargo vans. You need some, uh, some, yeah. some tires. Hey. <laughs> go, go strip their vehicles um, this, right this now. This is further proof that, like, the distribution license requirement in the state of California in our model, it makes no sense. I There's more that. distribution license in California than any other license type. All the brands have had to get them and pay lots of money and build out an unnecessary piece of their facility just to store their own shit. That's wrong. We also shouldn't be having to like pay a third party to move our stuff around the state at these astronomical rates. I mean, to have a sample delivered costs a minimum of $50. The sample is $6. Come on. Where is the just in that? Like, that's just. It's Joe Biden's America and these crazy high gas prices, Mandy. But we're going to keep it moving on that one. We're going to keep go roll Let's right into our favorite little redheaded conservative that loves to tell pot loving lives all about themselves. Oh, uh, yeah, while she's parading her dogs in fancy costumes up and down Capitol Hill. That's right. It's the founder of Panoptic Strategies, our very own little Washington insider, Gretchen Gailey. And the bangs are on fleek today. I like that. Jason like Beck, that. when you decide to stop addressing me as little, I will do a story. Move on to the next person. Whoa. <laughs> Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Jason okay. Beck, Mr. Talking Points well, Memo. Well, coming up next, <laughs> I guess, is, is, is the attorney that loves to tell everyone all about the stuff, did some fed time for a cannabis crime and is now sitting in his rocking chair with his magic guitar. <laughs> That's right, is Mr. Dale Schaefer. Uh, <clears throat> good morning, everybody. Uh, I got five kids and sometimes I feel like I'm at a Thanksgiving dinner here. Um, Anyway, be that as it may, my story this morning comes out of Law 360, and the headline is Michigan Pot Seller Banned from State Industry After Violations. So I pulled what I could on this, and what I gleaned from um, all of this is that a company called Clean Herbal Solutions, DBA Stash Detroit, and a guy named Mario Seaman had a company running and uh, somebody rattled them out for having employees up in the back room smoking some weed, and they didn't have cameras up there. 
At least that was the pretext. It sounds like an HR problem to me. I'm not sure how you lose your license over that, but you know that was a complaint. You got some employees who found some roaches on the floor. You know, bad boy, bad boy. <clears throat> I think the bigger problem was um, there was a some sort of a, a land problem right next to the building. So the building they were in had to be condemned, and they were they were seen taking bags of product out of the the back door to an un unapproved facility. Now, California has this, and, and I've been part of this. We had some fires and some riots up here. We're trying to get people ship moved out of their distribution facility. We're finding places, letting the DCC know where they're going, blah, 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 blah. Well, it seems like they did something like that. It then got approval to bring it to um, a licensed facility, but when they ran the numbers, the numbers didn't add up. And I think that if they got in trouble for anything, it was that uh, it seems like shit that went out the back door didn't all come back in the front door when they were supposed to. So that that seems to be a problem. But one of the bigger problems that I see here is these these folks, um, this company, which is an LLC, I believe. Yeah, it's an LLC. Uh, it's a person, but it's not a real person. But this guy, Mario Seaman, He's banned. They're, they're all banned for life from getting a license in Michigan. Well, okay. Mario could pick up and go someplace else. And I've had some problems with clients of mine where we try to do deal, due diligence on people and, and you get in bed with these folks and you find out, well, shit, they were banned in some other state and there's no way to find out about that because they don't share all this information. And as an LLC, whoever's part of this LLC can probably go apply again. I don't read and hear that the members of the LLC are and for life um and so what i what i see here is a, is a sponge fight over some stupid shit that costs somebody the right to apply for a license but then once you say that how do you really stop them from going right next door that's got a, a weed industry and going in there and do the same you know scandalous shit so i don't i don't know i think this may be a bit of overkill but there's obviously some things in here that, you know, if you read between the lines, there's a lot more going on here than just somebody smoking some weed in the back room without a camera on. So that's the story for the day. I don't know what you guys think about nonsense like this, but let's throw it back to the crowd. So these guys lost their license for smoking weed in the back of their facility, not on camera. Well, that's... That's one of the complaints that was made that was used to uh, resolve the case. That is yeah. probably the dumbest reason to lose a license, and regulators should be ashamed of themselves that they're rejecting people's licenses for just the fact of consuming cannabis. It's, it's ridiculous. They're adults. They should be able to consume on their property. This should not even be a requirement in any of these states, in any of these legislations, that you cannot consume cannabis on the site. It's the most dumbest rule ever. Well, but we have it here in California on the I, 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 permitted still, premise. You're stupid. not supposed to be smoking it's weed still, on the premise. It's still stupid, Does it Dale. stop anybody? It's still stupid, no. Dale. It's no, stupid and rule. also, interestingly enough, I mean, you're not supposed to, but I've actually had, I won't name anybody's names because I don't want anyone to get in trouble, but had a very high-ranking regulator in our industry be at my facility and I've asked these kinds of questions and they said that in an R&D purpose, you can trial product because the they're saying that you actually can't get in trouble for doing R&D. <laughs> That's your story and you're sticking to it. It was R&D. 
<laughs> yeah. It is. Every yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Today it might be different. It might affect you differently today. <laughs> I mean, you 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 gonna you gonna fire a chef for not being able to uh, if he tries to taste his own cooking? Exactly. Oh, and a bourbon taster. How about them? I want a job like that. I want to taste bourbon out of the barrel. How are you supposed there to? There is somebody whose job is to do that. How are you? How, how are you going to yeah. be able to knowledgeably tell these patients or consumers like, like what to expect from these uh, these, these these products? And, and and even from a retail side, you know, I can't tell you how many times that someone will come in and be like, "My vape pen doesn't work," and want to exchange it, right? right? And then we have to be able to prove that it actually doesn't work. So what does that person have yeah. to do? That person has to has to leave, basically clock out, walk outside around the corner, go and try to try to see if this vape pen works while the customer's just sitting there waiting at the table, like what the fuck is going on? It's the most yeah, yeah, dumbest five hundred feet on the away. Planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, ridiculous. Man, this, yeah, this sounds pretty it sounds pretty lame. Well, I think they really got spanked for the the numbers didn't add up for all the product that kind of sort of walked out the back door and in black plastic bags. Mm-hmm. So I, if I'm a betting man, that's where they really got their big problem. It, it is, it is Michigan though. And, and I can see the pendulum swinging in the other way. They're going to really try to tighten up absolutely everything when it comes to uh, any kind of corruption, or any kind of uh, compliance issues, because they've been racking up a lot out there and they've been pretty lax with stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Gretchen Whitmer out there is um, her team's on the hot seat right now. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can't do it. I don't care how many people you try to get to watch this industry, you're not going to be able to police this shit. So figure out where you're going to focus your attention. And it's not on somebody smoking a joint around the fucking corner. Come on, man. Yeah, there's so many bigger problems in the world yeah. than that. Yeah, this, this is a gross overreach of government control, in my opinion. But nonetheless, I uh, we, Shocking. we got any, any commercial, Adam? Really All right, we're going to go to commercial. We're going to be right back. How's it going guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Oh yeah, stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And make sure you check out our website, www.hyatt9news.com. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter. You will then receive a in a email in your inbox to confirm your subscription. You must click on that in order to be properly confirmed. And with that, we have one more commercial for you. The Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. Coming up next, she is the founder of Fan Optic Strategies and Hyatt 9 News' very own Washington Insider, known for mixing things up on K3 by day and mixing things up in the kitchen at night. Up next, it is Big Gretchen. Kelly! <laughs>
Thank you, Rico Lamy, for that kind and respectful introduction. It is appreciated by all of the women in our listening audience. Thank you. <laughs> My headline comes from Marijuana Moment. Congressional Committee calls for increased enforcement against non-compliant CBD products. A key House committee is calling on the FDA to continue and increase enforcement against CBD companies that make unsanctioned claims about the benefits of cannabidiol as the agency works with Congress to develop a regulatory pathway for the product. The panel separately noted that the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs efforts to improve education around home loan benefit protections for military veterans who work in state legal marijuana markets. Those issues are addressed in a new report attached to annual spending legislation approved by the House Appropriations Committee last week. The bill itself uh, to fund the U.S. Department of Agriculture, meanwhile, again codifies protections for state hemp programs. As the 2024 fiscal year appropriation season gets underway, there are some of the first examples of how lawmakers are approaching cannabis policy through that process under Republican control of the House this Congress. The CBD language in the spending bill report for the USDA and FDA says that appropriators are concerned about the proliferation of foods and dietary supplements marketed in violation of the FDA Cosmetic Act, including, pro including products containing derivatives of the cannabis plant. Non-compliant CBD products pose potential health and safety risks to consumers through misleading, unsubstantiated, and false claims that cannabis and cannabis derivatives can treat serious and life-threatening diseases and conditions, including COVID-19. The committee recognizes that FDA intends to work with Congress on creating a regulatory framework that could permit one compound in cannabis, cannabidiol, in consumer products. It continues... FDA indicated that such a framework could safeguard consumers by providing risk management tools to the agency to manage CBD risks, including labeling requirements, prevention of contaminants, con content limits, and other public health protections, such as minimum purchase age to mitigate the risk of ingestion by children. FDA announced earlier this year that following an extensive review, it determined that it would not be able to independently develop regulations allowing for the marketing of CBD products as food items or dietary supplements. The agency has faced pressure and criticism over the inaction, but it insisted that Congress must step in to facilitate that rulemaking. Appropriators went on to say that they recognize the FDA's use of existing authorities to undertake cannabis-related efforts, including research, requests for data, consumer education, issuance of guidance, and policy around cannabis-based drug product development and enforcement against wrongdoers. They want the agency to continue and increase the efforts, given the prevalence of non-compliant CBD products in the marketplace. The committee also expects the FDA to take enforcement action against the manufacturers of any cannabis products marketed with unlawful therapeutic claims to preserve the integrity of the drug development and approval process, which ensures that products, including cannabis-containing products, marketed as drugs, have undergone a rigorous scientific evaluation to assure that they are safe, pure, potent, and effective for the diseases and conditions they claim to treat. It is also imperative that the FDA continue to exercise its existing authorities to preserve incentives to invest in robust clinical study of cannabis so its therapeutic value can be better understood. So I think this is just a prime example of why cannabis is not too big to fail. They don't give you a pathway to succeed and still lock you up. This is Gretchen for Hyatt 9 News. 
I mean, there, there Ooh, is. I like money. that little shot fired at Rico over there. There, there, there is so many. I try. I like There's so many unregulated products. I mean, they're they're gonna have they're gonna have so much time to do all this. They're probably gonna have to. They're probably gonna have to hire a bunch of those IRS agents that they hired just to just to to fill this department for all this illicit product that they're gonna be after. There are regulations out there. They're just uh, for nutritional supplements, and I know that. Um, Mandy understands this when you're having a marketing meeting and some little shit wants to go out and market something as curing cancer and jock itch and toenail fungus. At what point do you say, nah, you can't be saying shit like that about these products? And that is at the base of this. Since the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act, they have taken drugs, drugs, and separated them from nutritional supplements. And nobody knows what the hell category these fit into now. So they default to a nutritional supplement. And this, the claims that are being made about what cannabis and its molecules will do, sometimes you just shake your head and walk away. There's a fool born every goddamn day. And they'll buy all kinds of shit. Yep. So just true. like those uh, those THC dick pills Rick, Rick, uh, Rick Flair selling down in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Well, well they'll work with a puffer and a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, you'll get an erection. Yeah, fine. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Dale, I don't, I don't know about the dick pills, but I, I tell clients all the time that no, they can't say things. Um, and if they want to, I'm not the girl to market for them. Um, and we just have to have those types of standards. And and it's not because I'm a pain in the ass. I'm also keeping them out of trouble, which is also part of my job as their consultant and PR person. So if they don't want to accept that advice, then they need to find other people to work with them. Well, the marketers are reluctant to have me in the meetings because I'm pretty blunt. You know, if, if you can't prove that something is true by research and not research done by some YouTube idiot in fucking desert, but by legitimate research, then you can't say it as a nutritional supplement. And if you try to say it's a drug, you really have to jump to the hoops and the DEA refused to let everybody do the research. So you're in this vicious cycle where there's not a lot you can say that's actually proven. Yeah, does smoking weed take away nausea? Sure it does. <clears throat> I think you can say stuff like that. Can you say it about CBD? Does it cure cancer? How about jock itch and toenail fungus, okay? Does it really do that kind of stuff? You can't prove it, so you can't say it. And those regulations will have your products recalled. Mm, good Very point. True. Now Whenever I train our brand ambassadors and send them out into the fields, we always tell them that you can never make any kind of medical claims, but you can tell your own personal journey, your mm -hmm. own personal experience. Um, and just nobody it, can take that away from you. That's the end of one experience. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah. Well, what happens when you say like, yo, this weed don't even get me high. And that's <laughs> Oh man, all the all the boof, boof, boofiness. There. <laughs> the boof is loose. The boof is loose. Oh man, coming up. We're next. not. We're not to hear. We're not hearing her. Who, who who's talking, me? Dale? No, you. But I don't know. Is it? Um, no, we didn't hear you. Me? You were talking, girl. I saw oh, your mouth Nicole? move. So, yeah, Nicole. Nicole, you're Nicole's on mute. On mute. Nicole, you're on mute. Are you muted? You're on mute, Nicole. And when? There we go. Oh, symbols up. Oh, there we go. Here's Baz, me, girl. 
I'm still not here. I her. sympathize with you. <laughs> Out there. So uh, there you go. She's having she's having <clears throat> a connection issue. We're gonna keep it, we're gonna keep it moving. We're gonna roll right on into Mandy Tingler. She's the mom, the edibles judge for the Emerald Cup, and a cannabis executive that loves to show the world how being a mom and a and a executive lifestyle all can go hand in hand. That's right. It's Carmen Sacramento, Miss Mandy Tingler. Thank you. You guys, today we are here to talk about Colombia. Our headline reads, Colombia Senate votes down recreational marijuana bill. This one's a sad one, in my opinion. Colombia's Senate voted down a measure to approve the sale of recreational cannabis to adults late on Tuesday. All the supporters, including the government leftists, President Gustavo Petro, said they would continue to pursue legalization. South American country already allows some cannabis-derived products such as oils and creams to be made and sold for medicinal uses while legislation passed in the 1980s and 1990s allows consumption and cultivation of up to 20 plants. But sales of the drug for recreational purposes are illegal and opponents of legalization celebrated the bill's defeat as ensuring the protection of the children and families families in Colombia. Uruguay, Canada, and some states in the U.S. allow the sale of recreational marijuana. Despite the legality of medicinal cannabis, investors have long complained about what they say is Colombia's torturous export approval process. The bill would have restricted the use and sale of cannabis and its derived products in schools and universities and placed limits on public consumption. Backers, including Interior Minister Louis, Luis Fernando Velasco, said recreational marijuana continued illegality and only benefits criminals. From the government, we will insist on this issue, he said in quotes, and shared this by the states, or excuse me, and shared by the Senate on Twitter. Liberal Party representatives Juan Carlos Lasada had, had said the proposed law would save lives, protecting consumers from interactions with criminals. We didn't know we'd get so far. We have majorities. We lacked seven votes, he, or he tweeted after the bill was voted down. The final vote was 54 votes in favor and, and oh, excuse me, which needed 54 votes in favor and only 147. Meanwhile, an ambitious health reform, which caused the breakdown of Petro's once broad congressional coalition will carry over to the new legislative session in July on the back of a May approval by a committee in the lower house. A pension reform proposal also won committee approval. And we don't really care about that because it has nothing to do with weed. You guys, this is really sad for Colombia. Think about this. Colombia is the, I think the world's biggest exporter on flowers, is it not? And there are, the biggest cannabis farm in the world is operable there right now. And they can only export right now. Can you imagine if we had this situation going on? This is Mandy from Hyatt 9. What do you think? Colombia will still have plenty of weed. Oh, there's yeah, tons of weed going around. All of the sure. Yep. 
They'll have all the trade routes to get it out wherever they need to get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, only export at this time, though, as far as sales are concerned. Uh, I mean, Gretchen, you've been a, a big proponent of Colombian uh, infrastructure. What do you think is going on down there? She's on mute. Muted. I wonder what would happen if they tried doing this with cocaine in Colombia. They tried to do it with cocaine, and the DEA came in and said, hey, I want to do some cocaine, too. I wonder what would happen if they, <laughs> they tried to pass an like, adult-use cocaine consumption law. People, people get lead poisonings, what happens? Mm-hmm. Plume or plata, right? Oh, boy. We'll see. I I think that Colombia is focused on their medical market. I think they are concerned about the stigma of cocaine and are not trying to perpetuate that. And that is the concern behind not putting forward adult use. Yeah. Like the same things, right? Yeah. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying they would rather be known for the medical benefits of the plant than for people getting high. Call it clinicane. They're they're trying to have a PR a PR change. They're trying to um, adjust the way that you look at Colombia. Isn't that isn't that crazy? The 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 U.S. is trying to change the PR and not let it medical seems they need strategies down there, Gretchen. They need it. They do need some effort. Yeah, I have worked with Colombian companies and. I think their market is primed to be the best market in the world. I really do. They are proving how good they are at cultivating. <laughs> they know how to grow flowers. Cannabis is a flower. They are taking that. Medics is an issue the there, though, isn't it? I think the what so. is having a variety of genetics. There's been a pretty big issue there. Uh, I I'm a firm believer that genetics should be grown where they flourish. Uh, the most, so I don't know about which ones should be specific to Columbia or not. Uh, but the the cultivation sites that I've been on in Columbia are fairly impressive, much more impressive than the ones I've ever seen in the U.S. You've been to Clever Leaves? I have. I'm trying to go to Columbia, man. But y'all, I heard they got some good good stuff down there. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's coke before they mix it with fentanyl, Rico, so you could probably... No, <laughs> but it's the weed. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh oh oh! Hey, there you go. There's a twist. Maybe uh, Colombia is going to be the only place you can get weed without fentanyl too. There you go. They use uh, no. They they they. Uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised Colombia hasn't started exporting coca leaves rolled as blunts. Oh my goodness! Well, they exported the Coca Cola. That's what I'm saying. That's right. what I'm saying, Dale. They do export that cocaine straight to Coca-Cola. That Ooh, is so plot true. twist. Plot so, twist. So is Coca-Cola going to be the only one in America allowed to still produce? <laughs> maybe maybe the co- Coca-Cola is going to come Just, out with uh, coca leaf blunt wraps, you know? Yeah. The, yeah, the green ribbon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can dig it. I can dig it. Either way, we're going to keep on uh, rocking on this one? Yeah, let's keep it rolling, baby. How is your... Um, how is uh, uh, your sound, Nicole? Are you good? Uh, better. Thank All you. All right. There we go. I'm here. All right. All right. So up next, she's the National Community Program Director for M4MM and Power 88 Las Vegas. It's friendly 
Neighborhood Encyclopedia on every Wednesday morning, but um, somehow we got it today. So here to hit us with a little <laughs> purple plant magic. Y'all know who it is, Nicole Buffon. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. Okay, y'all. So yesterday was the CCB meeting here in Las Vegas. The CCB is the regulatory body for the cannabis industry in Nevada. Um, regulators were given conditional approval um, for existing dispensaries to open cannabis consumption lounges. Those three locations that were given approval yesterday in the meeting were Thrive, um, Planet 13, and Washoe County's The Venue at Seoul Cannabis. So that's in Northern Nevada, that's in Reno. Uh, the businesses were approved uh, for preliminary conditional licenses. Now, one of the concerns or many of the concerns from everybody across the board was the fact that they still cannot determine what the actual cost for them opening will be because of the strict regulations they had on air quality. So back in January, um, I was hearing buzz around the streets um, saying that, you know, even places like a Planet 13 were considering opting out of combustion, opting out of allowing people to come to their consumption lounge and actually smoke because the regulations around air quality were so restrictive. Um, and so with this concern, I was thrilled when I learned about Chanel Lindsay's newest invention called the Billow. <laughs> and the Billow is a closed loop filtration system unit, all encompassing. You light the, the, your flower material inside of the box. So no smoke escapes into the room, even when you're lighting it. And all of the smoke is contained inside of this component. Uh, and so we presented this brilliant machine to the CCB during a workshop back in April. Last week, they contacted us and said they adopted the language that we recommended to them for the rec for the regulation. And yesterday during the meeting, um, after comments from public comments and suggestions from operators and people that were in the room, the ch the um, cannabis compliance board actually took a recess. They decided to confer. They decided to talk amongst themselves and decide how do we change this to make it more make sense. And that's exactly what they did. And um, the CCB decided that they were going to change the regulations um, from 30 turns per hour in smoking rooms to to. 20 turns per hour inside of smoking rooms inside of your consumption lounge. If it's a non-smoking room, they decided to change it from 30 to six. So that is a huge improvement. Um, it, it should not require such a restrictive HVAC system. And the other part is, yes, the language for a closed loop filter, filtration system component also was added to the regulation, and they approved that as well. So we watched history being made yesterday in Nevada. So excited, so thrilled. Chanel was here. Um, she also made public comment. She came to the CCB with facts and data that proves that um, the toxicity that gets into the room, or the smoke that gets into the room, I should say, is much less than it was um, with the uh, with using the billow. And so we're excited that this new piece of invention, this new innovative um, cool box, <laughs> the billow, will be um, be able to be used inside of Nevada consumption lounges. We had some social equity license operators that also showed up yesterday that were thrilled to know that this is getting them one step closer to being able to open their doors as a consumption venue inside of Las Vegas. 
So we're excited to see um, how Las Vegas can be at the forefront of innovation and technology. Uh, right now, Chanel is also in Boston, in Massachusetts, because they're debating um, consumption lounges. And by Las Vegas, by Nevada adopting this language, it really does push that envelope forward. And so we're thrilled. Um, I would I would love to hear what my colleagues have to say about this story. Uh, but it, even though it's slowly moving forward, uh, we are making headway. And if you look out on MJ Biz Daily a little bit later this afternoon, our good friend Chris Casilla <laughs> um, is writing an article that will have a couple of quotes from Lindsay and myself about what happened yesterday during the CCB meeting. But we are thrilled. Thank you to the CCB for being so transparent. Um, and thank you to all of our partners here in Nevada um, that have kind of helped push this through. It's a huge win for the state of Nevada and big love and big props out to Chanel Lindsay. If y'all don't know who Chanel is, man, do your research, Google her. She's been a force to be reckoned with on the East coast. She moved her talents over to the West coast recently and has been doing it over here as well. Um, black woman doing the damn thing from, uh, Ardent, all the great work that she did over there with Ardent and the products that she created over there to now the Billow, like continuously giving products that the people need to move into. That the, the people present. need, Rico, that yes. they want and they yes. need. Yes. Yes. So we're, we're excited. Um, this, is, this is great for Nevada. It's great for Las Vegas. It's great for business yes. because now these businesses have a pathway to opening that really gives them an idea of how much it's going to cost. Um, their opening costs. And then, you know, another challenge that they mentioned yesterday, which is legit. Um, we don't know if these venues are going to make money. Um, you, you know, Las Vegas is where everybody comes to play. But if you're going to pay $10 for a pre-roll at the dispensary and go smoke it on the strip or smoke it in your hotel room, um, why would you pay $30 for the same pre-roll to go inside of this consumption lounge and smoke it? And so all of those things have to be taken into consideration. And we're watching, we're watching really closely to see how that happens. But it's the entertainment capital of the world. So, you know, if they if, if you're going to pay to dine in the dark here, um, I'm sure, you know, you're going to have to come up with some pretty, pretty creative ideas to get people to come into your consumption venue um, and want to pay those prices to consume. Nicole, well, I smoke, smoke in the dark. Nicole, I had a question about the financial side. Uh, you say that this will be much more helpful to businesses. How much cheaper does it make it for them to... Well, what kind I of systems can they numbers get exactly. Yeah, I don't know numbers exactly, Gretchen, but what I do know is the quotes that I was getting from dispensary from these retail operators about the HVAC system was upwards of $500,000 for the HVAC system alone. And so, obviously, the billow can be custom built out for your location at much less cost than that. At like a fraction of that cost. Every time they set one of these up, we have a chance in real time to look at air quality and what it takes to achieve air quality because the default position of the industry right now is we're going to over-regulate and make sure nobody ever smells anything in one of these facilities. And that's just fucking stupid because right around the corner, someone's smoking a blunt. Okay. Yeah, and and, and that's the thing. They didn't allow tobacco products inside of these locations. They've already outlawed those. No tobacco, only hemp burning products. And then the other thing is, um, what, which is something that I recommended, but the other thing is that we compared, the reason that they dropped these numbers was because we compared them to what the casinos are allowed, what their turns per hour are, to what the taverns turns per hour are, and what the cigar lounges turns per hour are. And, and these regulations that they put on cannabis were above all of those.
So we said it doesn't make sense if you're if the casino is six turns per hour. Why does the cannabis lounge have to be way, way, way above that? So yes, indeed. Well, and I, Thank you so I much. work I work with engineers who help design greenhouses, and we have to have a nasalometer to detect odors. And they have these ridiculous dilution to threshold numbers. And we can do that for less than a half a million dollars in a 10,000 square foot greenhouse. So you wonder why do they force it to be so expensive when you're going to have people sitting in there doing that. But on a big greenhouse operation, you can't smell shit. And we do it with carbon filters and we don't have to play all these games and these expensive, expensive games. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, thank, exactly. you, thank you so much for covering this one. Very important one. And thank you for your hard work that you're doing out there on the streets there, Nicole Bafong. Big, big, big champion of everything that y'all do out there. And good to see Nevada moving forward. But we are at the back. We're back to the top of the hour. Thank you all for joining us today for another episode of High at Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love, getting their comments projected live on the big screen. I don't know if we're doing it right now, but we still got to show you love anyways. Also to the live audience members and online supporters catching us across all media platforms. Our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, The Vortex, 91 Club, all our sponsors helping us keep the lights on over here. Jaja. Simone holding things down in Clubhouse. I don't even know if we're over there anymore right now. <laughs> but, yo, big up to Clubhouse. Big up to... Uh, we're, the, Twitter we're on Twitter Spaces, spaces today, Twitter too. Spaces. Yeah, today. big shout out to Twitter Spaces and all the things going on there, too. And to the haters. <laughs> I told y'all we'll be back like we left something. And you know what? Look at God. Look at God. And always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason the Hyatt 9 News team shows up and reads these headlines every single day. Thank you, baby. And it is Wednesday. June 21st, 2023. The show's over. Hope you've all been blessed with enough stories to put in your pipe and smoke in, at least until tomorrow. And um, I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street. Signing off for today. Gretchen Gailey. Repping that Big Bang energy today. What you got for us? Mm-hmm. I would say congratulations to Nicole Buffong. She's showing that if you show up, talk. You can get shit done. And that's what has to happen in this industry. So people need to follow her wonderful example. Good job, Nicole. Unity.